What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Exit 73 podcast. Uh, this will be episode three, and not only will it be episode three, but this will be our first guest on the show. Uh, fortunately, this this episode was a little bit of a last-minute planning, and so we weren't able to get Quentin uh, off of work in time. But nevertheless, we went ahead and decided to go through with it, and um, we had a great time. So this first guest is somebody that I've had the pleasure of knowing for a little over four years now. Uh, somebody that uh, I think has done a lot of great things with his time, and I think he'll continue to do a lot of great things. Um, we had a really great time talking, and uh, just fair warning, predominantly most of the stuff we do talk about is fire service related. So um, he's a really good friend of mine. I look up to him as a as a good, great friend and a, and a really good mentor. So without further ado, Mr. Mason Capello. decided to make a podcast you were i think you know one of the things that i thought of was like i wanted obviously when i wanted to interview people you were probably one of the first people that came to mind um so super excited to have you buddy oh man i'm happy to be here and that's awesome when you told me that you were like making a podcast of course i was gonna listen to it like religiously and then you were like hey man i want to have you on it and i was like oh, oh yeah. shit i don't know what i'm going to talk about but we'll figure it out yeah so um the podcast isn't about um you asked me this and i mean everyone i when i told them i was making a podcast pretty much they all had the same question what you know what about um there's not really um there's not really a set topic of discussion or dedication to the podcast you know like you see all kinds of podcasts about you know, firefighting, cooking, clean, or cooking and TV shows or whatever, you know, um, this is just kind of like a laid back interview podcast. So, um, you know, don't feel any need to stay, uh, stay on one topic. You know, it's, it's all really casual. Um, so me and you met, oh God, probably, Three years ago? Four yeah. years ago? Yeah, three years ago. Yeah. I remember like the first day I met you. We were out training, weren't we? Yeah, we were yeah. out training and I remember I saw like your, you had a tattoo of that uh, wing on your arm. Yeah. I started talking to you about that and I you were like super nervous <laughs> and like I still didn't like have, I don't know, like. How, I, how I, long in, with at that department, how far along were you dude, in? I was probably in probably about like a year. I think I just got moved to mm-hmm. B-Shift and. Like, I was just trying to make a name for myself on B-Shift because I had a yeah. good name for myself on A-Shift, which was, like, smaller. So it was, like... Did you start off on, on A-Shift there? Yeah. Or did you? I started okay. off on A-Shift and then got moved over to B-Shift whenever, like, some people had to go to school and stuff, so... Yeah. And it was a good move. I enjoyed it. Uh, and I remember that first day we met. I think we were doing, like, training on, like, hose deployment and stuff, and... Uh, I remember seeing you standing there just trying to figure out everything to do. Dude, I was 21 years old. I think that was my first day, and I was like, so I spent a year and a half trying to get a job before once I got out of the academy. And so, 
yeah, I was just one. It was. It took me. I mean, that was my first time really getting some reps in a year and a half from the fire after the fire fire academy. But yeah, dude, I was just trying to shut up and move when I was told to move and, yeah. and not move when I was told to not move. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember all, dude, it's crazy to think about, like, because a lot of people, they'll test for years and years, and especially where I'm at now, like, talking to some of these guys, and they'll come in from, like, California, yeah. and they're like, man, I tested for five years before I could ever get on, and I got lucky enough that as soon as I got out of EMT school, and I had fire, and then I went to EMT, and as soon as I got out, I was mm. maybe out for, like, six months, and I got a job. Where'd you, uh, where'd you go to fire school? Navarro. Navarro College. In Waxahachie. Yeah. That's, did EMT. you go to medic school there, too? No, I went to medic school at El Centro. That's right. That's right. And then I went to EMT school and fire at Navarro and just got lucky through uh, that apartment down south and got on. How long How, how long before you got a job? Like six, like six months. Six I was waiting months. tables and I was still waiting tables for a good while. And I remember my first two weeks of like working down there. Like, I mean, you had to wait a while before you got your first paycheck and I was broke. <laughs> yeah. And like I was still like on the weekends, I'd still pick up shifts, working, waiting tables, and then go back to work because we were on days, and then just to make like enough money to pay my bills, and then finally that first paycheck hit, and I was like, man, I'm done with this whole waiting tables thing. Yeah, that's a, that's something that, like I've always told myself, I was like, man, I don't know if I have the patience to like when I was in high school, you know, you get high school, you look for jobs like in college when you're trying to just you know focus on school and put yourself through what you can but that was one thing that i never could do was food industry waiting tables i was barely good at my job when i when i was a when i worked at hollister so. <laughs> <laughs> so. dude i felt like the complete opposite i felt like waiting tables was so like more relaxed like you could kind of do like you could make your own schedule you could pick up or give up shifts a little bit more as long as you weren't understaffed yeah which the restaurant i worked at was always fucking understaffed yeah so it was you couldn't give up shift but you could pick up whenever and like say i wanted to go buy something i'd just go pick up like a friday night and just hustle waiting tables and make that money yeah did you make obviously what i hear is the typical um scenario for most waiters and, and waitresses is they make more money in tips than they do hourly Oh yeah, I like you'd get like a one cent paycheck. Like yeah. all of it comes from tips. Yeah, that's a that was a big thing that deterred me away. But looking back, maybe it would have been a good idea. Oh, I couldn't go back. Oh yeah, no, no, one hundred percent. I'm just saying, looking back, yeah, maybe I would have considered that. But thankfully, I'm not going back. So yeah. it was great. Like any anybody going through college or that's trying to go through school, I highly suggest it because it's like you can get so much good experience and even just learning how to like talk to people and like going through that to get that customer service in, like you can get some great experience. And that's followed me all the way into my career today of yeah. like how to be just courteous to just people. how to like associate with people and stuff yeah, like that. And just deal yeah. with difficult, like we deal with a lot more difficult situations than in the food, like the food service was like nothing compared to the situations we get put into now. Yeah. But, uh, like that just only prepared me for being able to talk to people and like actually being able to communicate. That is what I have learned. I mean, you know, I haven't been in very long by any means, but the ability to talk to people and knowing the questions you need to ask and kind of almost like interviewing people as far as with, you know, on a medical call, if they're sick or hurt or whatever, like that is a big factor that goes into play. And I've, you know, I've seen people that, um, you know that they're great medics, but that that conversating with people factor of how long you've been feeling like this, you know, like like you know, where does it hurt or does it go? On? You know, all that stuff is like 
that that plays a big role into your entire assessment, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. And so like, you getting that from, from being a waiter, that's, I mean, that obviously just helps. Yeah, dude, that only, that only benefited me. Cause if you can't talk to people, like you can have the best skills, like you could never miss an IV or you can never miss an innovation. But if you can't talk to somebody and figure out what's going on and like all those issues, I mean, yeah. you're almost not like your skills don't mean anything at that point. Cause like, if you can't actually figure out what's going on, like how are you supposed to know what you're supposed to do? Yeah, for sure. So, um, so obviously where we met, um, we were, we were relatively busy. I wouldn't say we were terribly busy by any means, not manageable. I mean, a, I would, I would a say, bad day was what, 12 calls? Yeah. yeah. I would say we were we were busier because of just the lack of resources and the length of time in the calls. Yeah. And that's what I explained to people where, like, I'm at now, which it's a lot shorter of, like, a call time. Yeah. But there's a higher volume. Yeah. So where, right. where we went after, you know, obviously we went to different departments afterwards, right? Mm -hmm. You went up here <laughs> in <laughs> yeah. the call volume, and I went... You know, yeah. um, so was that like how, cause obviously, you know, you know, you go from running, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, a bad days, 12 calls to most 25, 20 calls a shift. Like, yeah. have you noticed a difference? Like when you get home, like how, you know, Claire or how, you know, your home at life, has that noticed any difference at all? It all depends on how the night goes. Yeah. Because, like, during the day when you're awake, like, I don't ever feel like there's any, like, I could run 12 calls mm -hmm. during the day from, I don't know, I get there at, like, 5 o'clock in the morning, and from 5 till, I don't know, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, run 15 calls, and then if you go to bed and you sleep all night, you wake up well-rested. Like, you might be a little bit worn out, but it's not like you're just done the rest of the day. But if you get... If it's just one of those nights yeah. where it's just like you don't ever see a bed or as soon as you back that rig in, like you catch another, the bells go off again and you're right back out, uh, it makes it for a harder day. But do, it's, you, do you remember 4th of July this year, this last year? Were you working? No. No? I heard it was bad because you remember we had a really bad drought this past summer. Yeah. So every department in the area was, I mean, running brush fires, house fires. I mean, I think what I heard was I think – um a neighboring department to the West had it terrible. I think they had, I want to say I heard like they were maxed out on all their brush trucks that were out. Like, I mean, they were, they had it terrible, but I, I just heard that was a bad day. Yeah. So. so like the station I came from, they were just, cause I talked to them all the time and like ask them, I mean, you're 24 hours together. You, you got to talk about something. Yeah. And I asked the captain, I was like, what's kind of the busiest shift. And, uh, I think he, he said on like, cause the truck doesn't roll nearly as much as like the engine or the rescue right. by any means. And on the truck, I think they said they made 40 runs and like, for a truck. That's, that's, that's insane. For a truck that normally averages probably about four calls a shift and to go from four to 40 in one shift. They said the busiest shift is 4th of July. Yeah. Like as a young guy, it's like, they highly suggest picking up cause you can get a lot of experience with like brush fires and just the volume and managing that chaos. Yeah. Uh, but they're like, it, it was nuts. And like, they like 4th of July is compared to like snowmageddon when they're like, Oh that, my God, that was that so nightmare. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I was, 
I was working with Armando <laughs> that shift. And you know him. He is so freaking positive all the mm-hmm. time. He's got such great attitude. And me, I was an EMT at the time. So obviously I didn't have nearly the stress that he had. Oh my God, I was just, I was beat when I got home, dude. I was so beat after Snowmageddon. So beat. Dude, I remember the second one, like not the, the original Snowmageddon, but the second time. I showed up to work and my whole crew was already there. And I remember seeing, uh, <laughs> I remember seeing Grigsby. And this is at like, I don't know, midnight. And mm-hmm. everybody's still awake because everybody's like, you just keep catching runs. Yeah. And Grigsby was on the ambulance and he came up to me and was just wide eyed. Like he did not <laughs> blink at all. He was like, did you bring any extra socks? <laughs> and I was like, no. He's like, you're going to need them. And I was like, what? And then like 10 minutes later, he comes back with this package unopened of white tube socks. He was like, I bought these at Walmart. You're going to need them for tomorrow. And I was like, dude, what is going on? Like, are you okay? There is nothing that ruins a day or a shift more than wet socks, man. Oh, so man, I, dude, you know what? Be... He he was absolutely right. He yeah. really was. Oh, dude. Having like a nice, like when you go to the pool and you're hanging out and you're like swimming and like the first thing you do when you're like done with the pool for like 10 minutes, you dry yourself off. Yeah. But like at work, like whenever, uh, like when I was going through the academy again, like there were times because it was in the middle of summer and mm-hmm. we're doing training and like you're spraying water, you're sweating, and you'd get and like you do your workout in the morning, so you'd get sweaty from that. And they wouldn't have you like, oh, go shower and then change back into the fresh PT clothes. No, you just stayed in your like wet PT. You just clothes. stayed wet. Yeah, and for like eight <laughs> hours, and it's it's like miserable. Like you're like I can't even cool off because yeah. like the water that's on me is like getting hot. Yeah. Oh, it sucks. Yeah, that's a. Uh... Yeah, there's nothing that ruins a day more than wet socks. I would, I, that's why I've always, me, just my preference. I, I mean, I would rather, I'd rather do all, everything we do in a day. I would rather do it in 100 degree weather than 30 degree weather than snowing, raining. I would rather be sweating uh, yeah. in 100 degrees than anything else. Yeah. Even if we have to put on all the gear, I'm, I'm, got to bunk out fully i'm st- I'm still sweating 100 degrees yeah well I, I learned from one guy that i was at a, he's been on for 20 plus years and he was like hey you always need to make sure he was like when you're doing your rig checkoffs like check off your normal stuff or whatever he was like but you always need to keep like a couple extra towels on the rig for that he was like because after you catch a structure fire or whatever it was like when you get back in the rig if you can just dry off Mm-hmm. and like stay like instead of saying like dripping wet because you're gonna like you, when you're in your gear and you're in like this smoky atmosphere where it's ungodly hot yeah. and your ears are on fire and you come out and you like your overhaul and then you like you're headed home, like just to be able to get a towel and kind of like dry off your arms or whatever, mm-hmm. like just to try to stay dry. Cause on the way back, you could catch that next structure fire and every, like I've some firemen will say, Oh, it'll never happen. It'll never happen. Like for the likelihood of that happen before you get back to the station is just impossible or whatever. But like, why not be that extra prepared? So like that's, he taught me like, we'd always have like four towels on Mm -hmm. our engine inside the cab. Like after a fire, you could dry off. Yeah. That's a, there's not many departments that run back to back, you know, structure fires. Um, and let alone one in a day. Mm -hmm. So I can see how you go from, you get that one that you haven't had that, you know, your first in the last, I don't know, five or six months, if you were at a slower department, you're like, oh, well, that's my one for, you know, the next year or yeah. something like that, you know? So I completely get that. But, like, some people, like, I mean, the station I was at, very aggressive with firefighting, and uh, 
like they wouldn't let you leave. Like they're like you're essentially going to jinx yourself. Like if you don't switch out your bottle, like if you don't put a fresh bottle on, and then like say you're on the way back to the station and you pull up on another structure fire, and your bottle isn't the bottle that's on your pack is empty, like you're going to waste that much time to put a fresh bottle on, or you're going to screw yourself, not realize, and then you're going to have like a half empty bottle. Yeah. Trying to go in there and go do some work, and you got to come back out and switch your bottle out or whatever. Like, and you never want to be that guy. That, no, you never want to be that guy that's got his vibe alert going off and has caused all his entire crew to come out. Yeah, yeah, that's always. You know, our old my old lieutenant I had back down south. I you know probably one of my. I don't want to say heroes, but I mean he was someone I look up to a lot. Mm-hmm. And you know his his emphasis and you know and how just how long he was able to make a bottle last and, and his calmness under pressure. And so, yeah, no, I, I get that completely. Yeah. But that comes from like him being in those stressful situations so much yeah. that it's like, it's not even stressful. Like if you're your first CPR, like you're sitting there dripping sweat, you're like chaotic. You're like, I don't know what to do next and all that. And then like, after you've had, you've had a couple and then you get that more experience and then you're like, okay, like as soon as you show up and especially if you work for that crew for a while, everybody's got a job set everybody starts doing stuff and it's not nearly yeah. as stressful and that goes with the you know learning to work with a certain crew as well so like the the crew you had down there that that first crew you had with um lieutenant chest pain and uh, <laughs> yeah. uh ag and and x and all them i mean that was a good that was a great crew you had yeah and you getting to you know work together and learning everybody's how it works i mean that that goes a very long way. Yeah. I mean, we still talk to each other, even though like we're all now at separate departments just because of like how it all broke down. Yeah. But we still talk to each other all the time. And I'd say probably, uh, we need to do it again. But, uh, recently we actually got together and went on like a fishing trip together. And like, we don't even work at the same department anymore, but we were so close there that it's hard to lose. Like I still talk to him on the regular. Yeah. Like not every day, but very often that I still keep up with them and all that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that, I mean, that, I think a lot of people, especially people that really aren't um, keen to the fire service or don't have a lot of knowledge on it, I don't think they understand, like, how family-oriented and how relationship-based it really is, you know? Um, not, I mean, that's not their fault, obviously, but yeah. that, I mean, some of my greatest friends, I mean, you, Eddie, um, Pollock, I mean, all these people that I've met from the fire service, uh, I mean, they're other, some of my closest friends and by no means do, I mean, obviously me and you, you know, we don't talk every single day. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's still a great friendship. I mean, you oh, know yeah, what I'm dude. Like, so, I feel like I could pick up the phone if I was ever bored and I just wanted to like hang out or like just talk to somebody for a little bit or say I had something going on. Yeah. I feel like I could hundred percent call you or any of my other friends, even though I don't work with them and yeah. talk, just talk. Yeah. And like, that's like a lot of people that don't realize, like we, I still get people like going to the grocery store and I'll be getting all the groceries together. Me, it's usually me and another guy and it still happens. And people come up and they're like, Hey, why do y'all buy all these groceries and stuff? And it's like, well, we live at the station for yep. 24 hours. Like we're on for 24 hours. And after that 24 hours, another shift will come on and there's two other, there's three shifts total. And they're like, wow. So y'all like live at the fire station. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, that's what what I tell everybody. I says we do everything you would do at home: cook, clean, hang out, you know, mm-hmm. wash our cars, whatever. We do everything you would do at home. Um, besides, when a call comes out, we will go to it and we train for the job. I said it's it's really like you know, 
yeah. it's a little bit busier of a day if you were to, you know, per se. But it's exactly like hanging out, except like you do have a job. Like yeah, days that you're gonna train, you're gonna go out there and stretch lines or train on like cutting cars or whatever. Yeah. But then when you come back to the station, it's just hanging out with your buddies until another call comes out, and then you go to that call. You're professional, and you make that switch. It's like I mean, like flipping a light switch. Like you're hanging out with the buds, and you're just the bubba's and you're just there mm-hmm. and then a call comes out you go and you run the call and then as soon as you get right back yeah it's it is like you just ride back to hang out with the bubba's yep yep and there's that switch that that gets turned on you know uh amongst the the company that when the tones go off you know you switch that on to okay we were just you know whatever you were doing mm-hmm. hanging out you know uh bonding in whatever way you can but when the tones go, that switch turns on to game time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, it's a, it's, a, it's definitely obviously a. To us, it's not weird because this is what you know we've been doing for. I mean, a little bit now, not create, not long by any means, but um, for like I said, somebody that has knows absolutely nothing about the fire service, it's it's definitely a, a weird and awkward life, you know. Yeah. Uh. I mean, there's still people, dude, that they have no idea that fire departments, at least around here, run the ambulance service. <laughs> and I'm like, they're like, and so I tell them, like, they ask, you know, what are you? And I was like, oh, I'm a, I'm a firefighter paramedic. And they're like, you do both? Yeah. And I'm like, that's most departments, yeah. at least here in the Metroplex. You know, I can't speak for much around the area, but um, where are you from? Midlothian. Midlothian, so, Texas. Yeah. So I live, I grew up in Midlothian, which at the time was like a more rural community like at the time there was only one high school there was like a two they had two water birds. one was like on mm-hmm. the highway one was like in the center of town but there was not much going on now midlothian's blown up to like when i drive through town it's like there's like there's a whole bunch of neighborhoods and they got like a, a ross they got a chick-fil-a now like they got all kinds of stuff that's when you know you made it is Dude, a chick-fil-a it's, dog it's, it's it's wild driving back uh how often do you go back to midlothian my mom's like my whole family still lives there, so mm-hmm. it's not like on a. I mean, it's pretty often. Like well, yeah. I'll go back and see them and stuff. So like my both my grandparents, both my mom's side, my dad's side, my mom, mm-hmm. my sister, they all still live there. And did you is did firefighting is something you knew you always wanted to do, or like at what point did you realize like this is something that I want to give a shot to? So it was, I think my sophomore summer. Yeah, I'd say my sophomore summer. Uh, I was still playing soccer and I remember I needed money for soccer cleats and mm-hmm. my mom knew a guy and, uh, she got me lined up to do some work with him to make some money to buy soccer cleats. And he ended up being a landscaper. So I'd go out there and help him dig ditches and plant gardens and just do whatever. And he'd give me some cash or whatever to buy soccer cleats. Well, he ended up being a, fireman. how old were you, man? I was probably a sophomore, like going okay, into so probably about 15, yeah, 16. I was, well, I was going, it was my freshman going into my sophomore summer. So, I was, yeah, I was probably like 14, 15 maybe. Yeah. I don't remember how old I actually was. But uh, he just started talking to me about it. And he was like, man, it's great. Like, you work one day, you're off two. It was like, when you're not on a call, you're just hanging out of the station with your buds. Back when 4896s weren't even a thing. Oh, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> people would be like, people would spit at the ground at that idea. Yeah. And I was like, dude, this sounds awesome. Like, it sounds so great. And then going through high school, I remember everybody was like, so, because I still played soccer, and a lot of my buddies were like trying to get high school, like or going to college to play soccer, and like they're trying to trace the pro, pro dream and all that. Yeah. And I was like, man, it sounds great. Likelihood of me becoming a pro is so minuscule that like 
I was like, man, I, I want to be a fireman. Like, that's what I want to do. There's no sense in me chasing this. Like if I had the opportunity, I would have, but I never even got the opportunity. So yeah. I just started trying to like, after, after high school, I went to a community college for a couple years, tried to get my associate degree. I did not. Uh, and then I went to fire school after that and then EMT school and then got a job down South. Did, and what did your family say? So let me, what did your family say when you told them you wanted to be a fireman? Like, did they, were they supportive? Dude, uh, like my dad was like, why do you want to put your life on the line for other people? And I was like, well, it just sounds like, it sounds like fun. Like it's yeah. like I got, I'd get a retirement. I'd get a steady paycheck. Like I'd have health insurance. Cause like growing up, I didn't have health insurance. Like yeah. I grew up, I wouldn't say poor, but like very low income. Like we didn't live in like a shack or like never like super poor, but they were just like, there wasn't money to spend. Uh, so I knew that like one thing I wanted is I wanted to make sure like one thing that scared the death out of me was like, I wanted to make sure I had a retirement. Like I wanted to make sure after some point that I'm not going to work my whole life. Like I'm going to be able to retire. You're going to be able to relax when you're in your fifties and sixties. Absolutely. Older. And so that's what, like I knew fire departments had a retirement. I knew that I was going to get a paycheck and I knew I was going to do some pretty cool stuff. So I was like, hell yeah. My mom, she was pretty supportive. I mean, she supported me no matter what. So she was like, Oh, my son wants to be a fireman. Like, cool. She still doesn't fully understand it. She's like, so when you go to work, you're there for 24 hours. I'm like, mother, I have been a fireman for years now. <laughs> like, how do you not under? Yes. Yeah. When I am there, when I clock on, well, there's no like times, st- but when I'm there, I am there for 24 hours straight. Yeah. Like, there's no like, oh, I'm going to go, like, I'm going home at nine o'clock or whatever. Like, I know I'm there. Yeah. You're there. You're yeah. there till 7 a.m. And she's still like, Sometimes it doesn't get it, but yep. she'll figure it out. The reason I ask that is because all, I'm, all my family, they're so supportive, obviously, of, of what I do. But there was, I could tell, he, he's never, you know, my dad, He and he's he's one of my biggest, you know, he's a really big supporter in what I do. But he, there's days, like, when I first kind of started getting into it, he was, you know, he was, he was scared for me. You know, he was nervous. Obviously, you know, it, me being, you know, his one and only son, he didn't, you know, he didn't want anything to happen to me. And. Obviously, you hear on the news everything happening to police and firemen and whatnot. Generally, it is police officers, but there are some times where firemen get involved too. That he's, you know, thinks, you know, he just wants me to be safe, you know, and he doesn't want to, uh, he don't want anything to happen to me. So he's. There were some times where he was a little nervous when I first got into it, you know, but now it's he's definitely, you know, adjusted. You know, he worries about me still, and he, I'm sure he always will worry about me. It's just part of the job, but. He's, I think he's slowly getting used to it. That's why I asked, you know. Yeah. I'd say the person that gets more nervous about it than anything is uh, my fiance. I think she gets like, like she called me the other day. Like I was, we were busy. Like we were ridiculously busy. But uh, she called me. I didn't answer. And I just text her. Like I always just try to text her back if I can't call her back. I'd be like, hey, I'm, uh, I'm doing this. Like what's up? Like is it an emergency? And like sometimes she'll just call me and she'll be like, well, I just had a bad feeling that like something happened and i'm like no i'm fine like yeah. we're okay like i'm still breathing i still got a pulse yeah for I'm, now. I'm all right like for now um all right so you got you decided uh you want to be a fireman you went to the academy you went mm-hmm. to mt school you got a job was there so like for me when i did it you know i decided okay i wanted to be a fireman but i was not i was really still on my toes about it really until uh, I want to say like my first live fire scenario in the academy. So there was that point where I was kind of like, a dove nose deep into it, right? 
And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, uh, you know, I kind of like this, but I wasn't really too sure. Was there that point for you when you were like, all right, I'm trying this out, you know, I'm getting into it, um, but I, you weren't quite sure, right? So was there that point when you were, you're like, you like something happened or you had to go through something when you're like, okay, this is definitely what I want to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, dude, it was early on. Like it was, I wanted to be a part of it. I'd say like, actually, I'd say it was like the first, so like when I was going through the academy, you had to rent bunker gear because you couldn't own it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember paying that money and the, like the lady asked me, she was like, oh, this is a lot of money. I'm going to get been a guy. But they asked me, they're like, is this, are you like, this is a lot of money. Are you sure this is what you want to do? And I mm-hmm. was like, absolutely. Like, this all seems pretty cool. Like, I want to be about this. And then like never once have I looked back and been like, eh, this might not be for me. Yeah. Like the whole, ever since then, I've mm-hmm. always like. Yeah, there was never that point where I, I thought that like, this is not for me. There was just that point in like, I decided this is something I want to do. It looks enjoyable. I think I'm going to enjoy this. And then like when I had that first live fire simulation, the Academy, I was like, okay, this is fun. I dig this. I want to do this, you know? Yeah. So, um, so you've been doing it for four years now, five years. It's either five or six, five or six years. Yeah. Okay. Um, so if this is something you don't want to get into, just let me know. Uh, I think lay people don't understand the number one the likelihood at least for most departments to actually have a structure fire in one 24-hour shift like it you know for most it doesn't happen often Mm -hmm. let alone be at a structure fire and the reports of somebody inside and number and the even it's even 10 times more rare of having a fire having a victim be reported inside pulling them out and actually them being able or being uh, what's the right word to say this having them alive and come out alive you know and be able to go home the next day week or later right so obviously when me and you were still there i think it was probably not too far after the end of your time there um i think that was within the you know i left probably like a year or so after you had got toned out mm-hmm. to a fire um, not in your district, might I add. I think you beat you beat some another station there, yeah, did you not? Yeah, we beat Engine Three. Yeah, so you beat a you beat an engine there in their own district. One, um, can you walk me through um, just how that all played out, and not only how it played out, what went well, and what would you have done differently? Yeah. Okay. So start from the beginning. So like that day, I was hired back. So I wasn't even on my shift. Was uh, it mandatory or voluntary? Voluntary. Okay. And I remember like that day I tried to give up because I was on engine one and I tried to help out uh, one of the other guys because he was trying to get off that day who was actually on shift. Mm. And I was like, hey man, if you want to work on engine one, I'll work on medic four because uh, it's most likely people are going to pick it up like being on the engine. He was like, no man, I don't need it off that bad. Like I just would rather be off because of this. Yeah. He was like, but it's no big deal. And I was like, man, are you sure? Like, I was trying to help him out. And he was like, no, it's okay. And I was like, cool. So I showed up to station one, and it was a pretty chill day. Like, I wasn't used to working with that. That wasn't my regular crew. So I was just doing what they did. But I knew them all really well. So yeah. it wasn't, like, awkward or anything. Uh, and I remember it was pouring down rain, like, early that morning from, I'd say, probably about 8 to, uh, I don't know, 10. Like, it was just 
so much water coming out of the because we got a down power line. I remember we got out of the engine to go help, and like all they did, it was just like it was a phone line or whatever. So it wasn't sparking or nothing. So we just kind of rolled it up and yeah. tossed off on the side of the road. And we went back to the house and we just got done eating dinner or eating lunch. And Tones came out for a, a, a fire, so jumped in the back of the engine, and we're rolling to it. And I, I was getting all my gear, and I like there everybody I, they weren't like everybody got got their gear on and then they got in the rig which mm-hmm. is like not how the department i'm at now they don't do that but i remember i got like i was already bunked out in my seat ready to go and then we like started rolling so i was like i was already kind of ahead of the game just kind of hang out in the back on the way there and it came out there like there's a victim or there's like a possible victim and then they said something along the lines of like pd's on scene they can hear somebody inside there's a victim trapped uh I remember getting So you out. didn't know, like, as soon as the tones go off, you did not, there were no, like, dispatch did not notify you or call notes at the well, tone we, that there was somebody inside. Well, like, at that time, we didn't have call notes. It yeah. was, like, it was all verbal over the radio. Yeah. So, no, it, originally, it just came out as a working fire. And it was at the apartment complex that we all knew down there very well. So, like, it was, like, in my mind, I was, like, it's probably going to be nothing, like. We go to this apartment complex all the time. It's a lower income apartment complex. Like most likely it's just going to be burnt food. Like that's kind of what I was going through my head until there were like PDs on scene. There's a trap victim and all that. And then like, it was like a, a head, like a big switch yeah. of like, okay, was, we're doing this. Your heart rate went up a couple, couple oh, notches. Yeah, man. Yeah. It went from like a solid, like, I don't know, like 110 to like, I don't know, SVT at like 190. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I remember getting out and I didn't have, I'm like, some people would probably like, some people are probably going to hear this and be like, you're an idiot for not doing this. But like, I didn't get out and I didn't have my mask on. Uh, like I had it, I had everything good to go, but I didn't get yeah. out with my mask on. Cause I wanted to be able to look and see. And I've always heard like, if you get out with your mask on, you're going to get tunnel vision. You're not going to look blah, blah, blah. So I didn't have my mask on or anything. So I went up to the door and it was just dark, ugly smoke. There was a cop there. He was trying to like crawl in and grab her, but he was like, Oh, the smoke's choking me out or whatever. I was like, here, get back, get back. Got him back. I got my mask on and everything. And then my lieutenant with came up behind me. He was like, hey, let's go in. We didn't take a hose line in. But these were, at the time, if I would have thought about it, uh, like some people, like they would say taking a hose line. If it was like a regular house, I would take in a hose line. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, like it's a small one-bedroom apartment. We can hear somebody inside yelling. Uh, if we... If you're comfortable enough, if you if you trained enough on the actually searching and searching with a purpose and not just like crawling on your hands and knees and being slow about it, yeah, you could have got we. I knew we could have got in there quickly before even trying to charge a hose, go in there and find her, and then like it was easier just to go in. Yeah, so we went in, uh, lieutenant. We did a right-handed search. He was on the wall. I was on holding his boot, kind of fanned out, and I found her leg about the same time, or I found her arm the same time he found her leg. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time. Was she still conscious? No, she was unconscious. She was unconscious at this time. Uh, so my lieutenant grabs her legs, and he's reaching back to grab me to show me where she was at because you can't see anything. Like you might as well just close your eyes. Like that's all you can see. Yeah. And he said he reached back to come to grab me, and he was like, "Oh fuck, where's Capello? Like I've lost him." Yeah. And at that time, I'd already found her arm, and I was at her shoulders pushing, and I was like, "I was like, let's go," and I pushed her. And towards him and we pushed her out and the way the doors were set up for that apartment because it was like it was a hallway that went into the bottom two apartments and then there was a staircase that went up to the upstairs apartments it was two two uh 
there's an apart there's a door that went into the stairway that opened inward and then the door to the uh inside of the apartment opened outward so i i completely forgot about how that is set up yeah it was was it on the first story yeah first yeah. door to the right i forgot how those are set up yeah those are terribly oh it was a nightmare yeah. because everybody as soon as we found her he radioed and he was like we found her we're bringing her out everybody starts piling into this hallway well when they open the door they blocked our door and we can't get out yeah and i remember everybody yelling trying to like open this door but everybody's pushed up against it and we're trying to push out and like eventually the lieutenant i was with was like just yelled he was like everybody get out of the hallway so everybody got out uh i went up the stairs with their legs he and he came out we closed the door we opened the other door and we went out and then at that time the ambulance crew was right there we put her on the stretcher and then the innovator in the back of the back of the rig and she had a pole so they didn't have to do cpr and they took her to parkland and she woke up three days later yeah from everything and no then, no deficits no nothing she's no perfectly deficits, walking no and everything huh yeah i met her yeah how was like that? uh it, it was wild it was absolutely because uh i remember the chief at the time he came in and i just so happened to be at station one and he came in and he was talking to us and he was like hey you were on that call, weren't you? And I was like, yeah, I was the one that was like, did, did the thing. And he was like, she's here. Do you want to meet her? And I was like, yeah, I want to, <laughs> I want to fucking meet her. Like met her. She's a little old, uh, woman and like no deficits or anything. The, uh, the daughter was there and like talked to them for a good minute. And like, they moved, uh, the reason like the house caught the guy that she was with, it was just like a bad living situation. So she ended yeah. up moving up to California, but, yeah, I met her. No deficits, no nothing. How, um, what, so, I mean, it sounds like one of the things that could have done differently is you tell everybody to get the hell out of the way. Less, I, ex I, like, everybody always wants to go in and help. Yeah. But sometimes, like, too many is too much. Absolutely. Too much is too much. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. If you take in too much hose inside of a house, you're going to end up tripping over. It's going to be an issue. Too yeah. many people inside of a house. You can't really move around. You can't really do your job properly. So maybe like too much is like yeah. too much. I, uh, me personally, of course, it's every fire is different. Every fire is, you know, is going to have its own different circumstances. But if the circumstances allow, there's a victim in, you know, there's reports of a victim inside. I, I am, at least for me, I'm full advocate of you can have the next oncoming engine pull that line. I mean, if you can go in there and you can get somebody, you know, yeah, leave that line. Leave that. Leave that line for somebody else. I, yeah. I I know there's a lot of people that, um, uh, what's the right? Word? I guess they probably are, aren't a fan of searching when there's not a hose line in or searching, you know, whatever. But I mean, if it if you can make it work, then like I said, if circumstances allow, if there's somebody inside, it's that risk. It's that. What do they tell us all the time? It's risk. that risk benefit thing, yeah. right? So if the risk is worth the benefit. And the circumstances allow, get it done. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, <coughs> I would say on like a normal, say we're in this house. Say this house is blowing and going, and there's a victim in here, but we don't know where they're at. Taking a hose line because you don't know if that victim is actually in there. Yeah. And you don't know where they're at, and you don't know the conditions of the fire. Because like, what's going to save them? Yeah. If you get them out, or if you put the fire out. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing about that cop. You know, the cop reports that he heard the voices and stuff right before yeah, you got I there. I heard her. I heard her. And at you the door heard too. so. You know, at least if you can hear her through the smoke, mm -hmm. you know she's within, I want to say, 10, 20 feet, maybe. I mean, you don't really know for sure. But she's she's relatively close to the doorway. She's relatively close to the means of egress, you know. Um, so that alone, 
tells you, you know, okay, she's relatively close. I can probably just get in here and snag her and come right back out. The, I don't know where, where do you know where the fire was started? Like where she was in accordance with where she was from the fire and how far along the fire was, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. So like it was, it was like a one bedroom apartment. It wasn't very big. Uh, she was in the living room and she had fallen off the couch. I guess she had woke up and was choking out yeah. and fell off the couch and she was tangled up in a blanket. Uh, which also I think is what kind of saved her from getting any kind of thermal burns because like that blanket was kind of covering her. Uh, but oh, man, I'd say she was probably about like maybe 10, 15 feet yeah. if that, but like it was the room, the bedroom that was rolling and, and going. So it was, I remember being hot, but I was so mm. excited. I think that I was so excited. I don't remember you how don't hot feel, it was. You don't feel yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't that. feel anything. Yeah. And I think if I had to do something different was actually, this is just lack of experience. After your first like 10, 15 fires, like you start to maybe get a little bit more of a head on your shoulders when yeah. you pull up to a working fire. But like your first, I don't know, a lot until you finally get like a good amount of experience. You just don't even know. Like I've heard from guys, they're like, you'll show up and then you'll kind of like wake up after the fire is done. And you'll be like, what happened? Because your adrenaline just pushing so much. Yeah. And a lot of... Uh, it just comes with experience. If like at that time I didn't have enough experience. So in my mind, I was like, crawl, get in there, get the victim out and then get out. I didn't even mentally, I wasn't even thinking about these are small apartments. This back room is going like we can get in and get her out pretty quickly. Like we don't have to worry about a, taking a hose line in there with us uh, due to the fire conditions, blah, blah, blah. I wasn't thinking that that yeah. was just me being so young in my career. You're just thinking, get in there, get her get and in. get out. Exactly. Yeah, you're not thinking, where the, she's at from the fire, yeah. et cetera. Where the fire is at, is it room and contents and symbiote and stuff like that? You're not thinking any of that. You're thinking, get in here, get her out. Yeah. So. Luckily, I was with a, a lieutenant that had been on the job for a long time, had some experience. He was thinking the stuff that I was just saying, like, this is a small apartment. The fire conditions show this. We can get her in and out before, like, things get really, really bad. Yeah. Uh, so he was thinking all that. And that's where, like, a good officer comes in and, like, can be very yeah. beneficial. You had a, you were very fortunate to have a, you know, a damn good officer with you. You know, obviously me and him both know you. And I think, I think he's, he's a, you know, he's a damn good officer. I mean, I didn't get a lot of opportunities to work with him, but the minimum I did, he was, he was pretty dang good. So, yeah. um, was, what, is there anything you would have done differently? Would you have gotten off? So looking back, would you have gotten off the rig masked up? Uh, no, probably not. Just because like, I actually got a second to look and it was, and I think it all comes down to like who you're riding. Like, say you get off masked up, but your officer isn't. You're yeah. going to still have to sit there and wait for your officer to mask up. If you're riding a four-man engine and say you're the only one to get to get off masked up, you're still going to be waiting for them. So I think it comes down to what your crew yeah. is, what your crew is wanting to do. If everybody gets off masked up, then let's do it. We're all getting off masked up. But if it's like, or you and the backseat guy are getting off masked up and your officer is going to do a 360 and you and the backseat guy are going to go in, then do that. If you're running a three man, it just all depends on your crew. I think at that time getting off unmasked was not the, like not something I would critique of like things I could yeah. change. I think if I had to change one thing, I would have gotten off with a tool just in case things went South. Like I had nothing other than my bare hand or my gloved hands yeah. and the tools in my pocket. I didn't have like an ax or axe, a halogen, nothing. I didn't oh. have anything like that. So I think if I would have do it again, I would have probably taken a second to grab a tool to be able to help out a little bit or at least make something happen. Like say I had to break open a window, like trying to break open a window with your foot, you can, or your hand, but you're going to cut yourself when you, if you had had an ax, like 
yeah bink you're getting you're out so yeah that's um man i'll be honest with you that's well as far as going back to the whole getting off the rig with your mask on thing i've never been one of those um unless it's like a car fire like car fires i'll get off the rig. but something like you went through i'm not a big coming out with your mask on at least Mm -hmm. that's just me but um and that is something as far as like grabbing tools before you go in and to this day I am absolutely terrible about, like, I have to physically remind myself, grab a freaking tool. Like, I, I don't know why. I don't know why that, that case is, but um, I think it's just, be, I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm always, like, I'm getting on the hose line, even though when I'm sometimes I'm not. And, you know, when you're on the hose line, a lot of people preach, not all departments, that if you're on the hose line, that's your tool. Uh, but, no, I'm actually very bad at grabbing a tool. So, yeah, I don't have an excuse, but. I mean, if you got the nozzle, that's a tool enough. Like, if you're saying, like, oh, I'm going to have the nozzle and hold a, a set of irons, like, yeah. get out of here. You're not you're doing, not doing yeah. it. Like, especially if you're pumping to anything that's going to have any kind of nozzle reaction. Especially which, if it's a deuce and a half. Let's say you're trying to carry a deuce and a half and a set of irons. Not happening. I mean, you a grown uh, man yeah, if you can you, do that. You a fucking <laughs> built grown different. Man. You are fucking built different. Yeah. If you're sitting there just like, oh, there's just no way. In my mind, if you have the nozzle... That's your tool. Like yeah. you're doing, you can do enough with a nozzle. Like if we're, if you're packaging a patient to get them out, if you're packaging or if you're packaging a victim, uh, you can sit there with that nozzle and keep everything, keep all the heat back. I mean, you could essentially, you could put into a fog and push. Yep. Now you're only going to feed the fire, but you can push that heat off. You can sit there and pencil. You can do, or you can leave somebody. That's not a good idea. I'm not even going to say that, but you can do enough of that nozzle yeah. that you're going to do work. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that nozzle is is a pretty hefty tool if you know how to you know if you know how to use it. Now, if you're sitting there and you have ter- terrible you know hose handling skills, you know uh, it's gonna you know it's gonna kick your ass. It's definitely gonna you know so that your hose handling definitely I think has a big uh, a big sport to play in you know how well it, it goes. So I, I get that completely. Yeah. I really hope some 30-year FDNY Bronx fireman doesn't oh, listen dude. to this no, dude. and just comment on it and just start roasting us like, yeah. these fucking rookies don't know what the <laughs> fuck they're talking about. And we're like, we don't. We don't no, know what we you're don't, talking sir. about. We don't. Not compared no. to you, sir. I really didn't mean to get into this depth of, of, of uh, firefighting, but, I mean, obviously with me and you get together, you know, it just kind of happens. Yeah. Hey, uh, so on, on your first podcast, you said out, you – out the meadows. So okay, so okay, so originally I was gonna name the podcast Out the Meadows. The theory behind it was because I wanted to name the podcast something that didn't sound dedicated to a certain topic, but at the same time, I don't know, was just it had some relation. And so my thought process was is how can I dedicate it to something that uh Stuff that I've been through, but doesn't sound, you know, to a dedicated topic. And so, the street I grew up off, grew up off of in Garland, or not the street, excuse me, the neighborhood was called the Rose Hill Meadows. Uh, and so I was going to name it Out the Meadows podcast uh, to kind of dedicate it to, I guess, my upbringing, my life, and the people I've met because that's kind of what I wanted was my idea for the podcast is to interviewing these people that I know because I feel like I said it in that pilot, I said it in the pilot episode, you know, I feel like I know a lot of interesting people. Uh, and I really want to give them just kind of a voice to share. And I want to hear the people that I know. I want the people to hear them and, you know, I guess just hear their, hear their stories, you know? 
Um, and I found the, I thought the best way to do that was to call it the out the meadows podcast dedicated to them. But, um, we decided to change it to the exit 73 podcast because that's the exit you take to get to the studio. So <laughs> yeah, so it's called the exit 73 podcast now. I guess I never told you that, but, uh, so yeah, that's where that came from. I dig it. I like yeah. it. It's Shout out to the Rose Hill Meadows out in G Town. <laughs> the hard streets. Yeah, of the hard streets of G Town, dog. Um, so that happened. Um, like I said, a rarity alone to to get to experience that and get to shake their hand in the you know a couple oh, weeks dude, after. Yeah. So the only thing I can compare it to is like, like I, I remember I texted my fiance afterwards and like like oh I did this and blah 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 and I called her later that night because. Like I was just like your adrenaline's going like a thousand miles an hour. Yeah. You, you, like I just did something that some people in thirty years of their career don't get to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm like three years in and I get to do it. It's like holy shit. Yeah. Uh, man, it feels like you just scored like the championship. Yeah. Goal touchdown whatever point and you just won the championship. Like you feel like, like I mean you just uh, you impacted somebody's life. Yeah. So like, if anything else would go wrong, that person would have been dead. But we stopped that from happening i mean it was the best it was like yeah. one of the best feelings ever i think that at least i mean i would hope i don't obviously i can't speak for every single fireman in the world but i would think most firemen they're if they had any ideal dream or life goal or some sort of you know accomplishment they want to make in the fire services they want to you know they want to pull somebody out of a fire and you know save and you know obviously save their lives um Obviously, that is now a rarity, you know, like I said, but um, the very, like you said, the very few people that get to do that in an entire career is very, very low. Um, but I think that that should, I think that's every fireman's dream in some point or another, you know, mm. to get to go through something like what you went through. Um, I mean, that's a huge milestone, especially at three years, you know. So, um, but I think that goes to show that rather you're, a 30-year fireman, or it's your first day on the job, it can happen to literally anybody. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The minute you put your gear on that rig and you relieve somebody, you have to be yep. ready for whatever happens. Yep. And it could be something as minuscule as like running a bunch of toe pains all day to something like that or something even more extreme where there's like multiple people or like whatever. Like you got to be yep. not only like the job is so much fun. It's such a great career and there's like well, like we're, you know we're sitting there at the station hanging out having the time of our lives and then those bells hit and then you just got to make that switch and yep. you got to be you got to be ready for it but you can't be so ready that you're like super stressed out the whole day because that will also like i've talked to guys that they're like oh i couldn't deal with that amount of stress i'm like what do you mean they're like well waiting for a call to come out or something bad and it's like you don't really sit there you shouldn't sit there and be like that over like be prepared but like if you're stressed about that 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 much like mm -hmm. may like you either you need to figure out something else because you won't make it yeah. 20 30 yeah. years being that stressed every day at work yeah absolutely i don't by no means do i look forward to people's houses catching on fire mm -hmm. or i hope that or i wish that on people but i do hope that god forbid that day comes that i'm there to make do, a difference make a difference about mm -hmm. it so um, so you moved on from that department, right? You, mm -hmm. you're no longer, um, you obviously no longer work there. And so do I, um, you now got to work for a department, at least as, as long as I've known you, um, is your dream department. Correct. Not only are you there, but you're getting USAR certified. Correct. Um, one, 
Can you explain what USAR is? Okay. And all the classes you need to get there. Okay. So USAR stands for Urban Search and Rescue, which was put into place after, if I'm not mistaken, 9-11. Whenever the towers went down, they needed people to search. And that's where that more or less became like a big keynote of like everybody at least all the big departments were like, we need to have this. We need to have a team ready for this. Yeah. Uh, and so going through that training, I just did, I mean, I've a blink of an eye of any, the kind of training that to get the full amount of training. Uh, I've done ropes one and ropes two, which is just a bunch of knots and rigging stuff up and uh, Z rigs and all that. And then it's next is structural collapse, which is actually understanding how a building like, building construction and that goes into more details i have a picture of like all the training it's like it is a total of 416 hours structural collapses no of the oh oh, to become usar certified yeah so structural collapse is only 50 ropes is 60 and then it's trench search confined space which is everybody can't see me right now but i am not a small man (laughs) (laughs) confined space i'm not scared of but i just know it's not going to be my favorite uh, trench vehicle re- vehicle writ, which I already have writ. So. Vehicle rescue technician. Yeah. Yeah. And then wide wide area search. So. Wow. Yeah. And, and so all, so what all do you have done under you? Just have ropes one and two. Ropes one and ropes two and writ. Rope the okay. So. Which writs? That's only like a Dallas. Yeah, you're about halfway. Think... You're about halfway there then, right? Yeah, well, what? you got well. You, as far as one, classes two, go, three, four, five, six, seven. There's eight classes. I have two. And you have. Well, okay, I count, I count <laughs> ropes one and two as two separate classes. No, ro- that's just, it's just rope. That's okay. What, that's what they wrote for the okay. classes. It's well, just, then I take that back. You got a long way to go. <laughs> it's a long, a long journey ahead. Yeah, yeah, like ropes one and ropes two is just like one thing in its own. Well, that's, uh, I had no idea that's everything. That's, but that's in 400, how many hours did you say? 400 what? 416. Wow, that is a lot. That's yeah. many hours. But I mean, you are a, I mean, you're a, from that point on, though, I mean, you're pretty. Uh, I mean, you're pretty with it as far as spec ops go. I mean, you got yeah, near all of them. Yeah, the only thing, like, if I wanted to go, like, I'm not, I'm not super into like hazmat. Oh, Some yeah. people are, but it's it's not for me, which is which is fine. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, when it comes down to specialties, uh, that is the bulk of it. Like, yeah, there's other ones like Swiftwater. Uh, I'd have to go to Swiftwater school, but since I already have ropes. Like I would just have to go to Swiftwater school and then I'm in. Yeah. Uh, if I chose to go down that, uh, that's not really my plan. That's just me at this yep. time. Like, I'd what? Rather... Kind of going back to what you said, what you just said, which is your plan. What, what's your, what's your thirty, forty year plan? Like, do you? I'm, I imagine knowing you as a person, me personally, you don't want to become a battalion chief or you don't want to get into admin chief or anything like that. No. So is your is your are you just gonna try? You're trying to become a captain. Tenant driver. So my long-term goal at this time is I want to be a truck captain. I want to make it to where I'm the captain on a truck. Yeah. And uh, that's my goal right now. I don't want to be like, I just don't see myself being a chief. Not that I couldn't be a chief. I just don't think it's my personality. I don't think that's necessarily for me. I mean, I could get to, where I'm a captain and be like, Oh, I want to be a chief or I could become a Lieutenant or a driver and be like, man, I don't want to promote anymore. Like I like where I'm at. I'm having a great time. Like, and not want to do it. It just all depends. I mean, but right now my long-term goal is I want to be a truck captain. Truck captain. Yeah. I mean, that's a good goal. I mean, that's, 
a very notorious, I mean, everybody, I mean, I don't want to say everybody, but I mean, truck captains are, they're looked upon at a very high level, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, I think that's a, I mean, that's a damn good goal. I really do. So me personally, I'm, I don't think I'm that guy. I, I think I'm, um, you know, where we came from, we didn't have drivers. We didn't yeah. have a driver position, you know, you, or I guess when we first got there, we were two man engines. Yeah. Um, and then obviously they were able to go to three man in our time there, but. I think that I gained a, a passion for the driver's side of the profession. Um, and so I think that uh, that's probably as far as I'll go. And there, dude, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And like where we came from, it was kind of force fed on us, like promote, promote, promote. You have to promote, like keep, yeah. like just plunge down the back of our throat. Like you have to promote. Yeah. And like where I'm at now, there's guys that ride tailboard and like they, they got to private and that's where they st- stood and they are incredible privates yeah. and like there's nothing wrong with that and i hate people that are like try to force feed promoting on other people cuz like if it's somebody that like maybe needs a little bit of motivated i get it but like the yeah. trying to force people into doing something that they don't want to do they're not going to be great at it because they're not passionate about it if you got a tailboard that's passionate about being an nozzle man let him be that tailboard that's passionate about being nozzle man. Cause I guarantee he's going to want that nozzle more than a lot of other people. Yeah. And just like, and he's probably going to have more knowledge cause he's done that, done that job so many times for so long that he can teach younger, new recruits, rookies, uh, like all those it, with that amount of knowledge. And he's just, and they're just privates. Like they never promoted. And I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah, you can definitely. I ha, it's funny. I had this talk with my battalion chief, um, uh, maybe a couple weeks ago, and uh, my, I love my battalion chief, man. He's such a great guy. And uh, they said, he said, "What's your, you know, what's your long term goal?" And uh, I told him, I was like, well, you know, I, you know, I told him, I, I don't really see myself going above a driver. I don't, you know, I, I really like the driver position. I think a long term fireman and a long term driver if you do it right, can be a very respected, probably one of the most respected professions. Like, you know, if you're a 20, 30-year driver, you know, and you do it right and you're knowledgeable and you know that truck like the back of your hand, you, you there's a certain, you know, people, re, you know, respect that, you know. Mm-hmm. And that same goes for a tailboard fireman. If you're a tailboard fireman for 30 years and you do it right and you bust your ass and you're just, you know, you, you come to work every day, you know, loving your job, passionate training, all that stuff, you can do it right, you know? And uh, I think that's what we talked a lot about, how there's people that can do it right, you know, as far as being in those positions for long terms, but there's it's it's so much easier to get lax, to get real relaxed, and you mm-hmm. can be a 20, 30-year fireman. And, you know, not, I don't want to say people look down upon you, but you, you come, you do your job, but it's, you know, it's that's really as far as it goes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. As far as... uh but as far as you know, being respected, having a passion for it, having that knowledge, and having the passion to bestow that knowledge to the people under you, um, I think that that's really what makes a good twenty thirty year fireman a damn good twenty thirty year fireman. And the yeah. same goes for driver, you know. Yeah. So. So where I'm at, like they they talk about drivers as it's referenced as the backbone of the fire department because like. As a driver, say your officer's off, you step up in that officer's position. Or when your officer's there, like, you're driving. Like, if you can't get to the emergency, you are 
not beneficial because you're not there to help. Yep. Like if you can't get there and if you can't get there in a, a fast manner, like if you don't know your streets or if you get in a wreck or whatever, like if you can't get there, you can't do anything. Yeah. I think there's a lot of respect for like an incredible driver. I think they're a, like a, they're worth their weight in gold, especially yep. if it's somebody that's like super passionate and they like take care of their, their engine or their truck. Like, super well and mm -hmm. all that a dime a dozen and i think it's almost because like the culture we're kind of in is it's a, almost a dying breed of that intense passion of like even if you don't run a structure fire shift or you don't have a structure fire for a long time yeah uh you still go through everything like you could have one at any minute then and you take that much passion instead of just like oh it's not going to happen like we haven't had a fire in a couple months and then something bad to pop off and you don't have like your tools are all dirty and they break or like whatever. Like if you don't take that passion, it's only going to come back and bite you. So guys that are that passionate about it and take care of their stuff that well, it's almost like, I think that's worth their weight in gold. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I've always admired as a driver is the best way I explained it is he, he's kind of like a liaison between like firemen and officers, right? Oh, absolutely. so if you have a driver, that's he's been with the same officer for quite some time you know that officer is going to go to that driver at for not necessarily for i don't want to say guidance or i mean he's going to go for him to like hey what do you think about this how do you think the guys would like this or you know or he's going to they're, they're just going to build that trust that they're going to have a good relationship to where he can go and be that person for that officer because he's got that relationship level with him mm -hmm. and then if you flip that your fireman can go to that driver for something that maybe he necessarily didn't want to bother the officer about, or maybe something that um, he, he wants to get the opinion of, like, you know, hey, why do I, you know, as a fireman coming to his driver, like, hey, what do you think about this? Or, you know, how do you think the officer, how do you think Lieutenant Captain XYZ would think this, you know? Uh, and so I, I think looking at that and as a position on top of knowing that rig, like the back of your hand, taking care of it, you know, um, and all this stuff, I, th I think that's a position that one of the things that drive me to be, uh, in that position, you know? So yeah, I, it's going to be a while by any, by trust me, I'm not, I'm going to enjoy being a fireman. Um, I mean, I'm going to enjoy being a fireman. I'm going to enjoy being a tailboard fireman and, and doing, you know, training and, and taking the knowledge I can. And, um, you know, when I feel like I'm ready to move on, then I will, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I think like, like I said, I think a good solid driver is worth their weight in gold because like you said we're like a liaison like the driver can be so much like and just a wealth of knowledge because like even though they're, they're not going in they can see the whole outside or like or whatever like absolutely worth their weight in yep gold. yeah for sure um man we got into a lot of fireman stuff today i was trying to i wanted to get a little bit more into you and, and your uh, your career and then a little bit of your background um, so you're not living in Midlothian anymore, I'm reckon. No, no, I moved out, uh, I moved out of Midlothian whenever I got a job down South. Yep. Uh, and that was mainly because my now fiance at the time, she was like, Hey, uh, you need to move out. Like, I'm not going to be with somebody <laughs> who's just going to be living with their parents, especially <laughs> with a full-time job. And I was like, man, but it's so nice. Yeah. Like, I'm, I don't have to worry about. Like I like I had bills. Like I helped my mom with my bills and stuff. But like it's like man, it's so nice. And like I moved out, moved into an apartment. Uh, 
lived in Waxahachie, Texas, which if you try to look it up, you won't be able to spell it right because I can't even spell it myself. It's so it's like if you look it up, it's like Waxahachie, but it's Waxahachie. Yeah. Uh, lived there for a while and then moved to the beautiful, wonderful streets of uh, South Oak Cliff. Wonderful. Lived in the cliff for about five years for a good while. That was fun. Uh, uh, did that just because of like I moved in with Armando and then... I like how we keep saying is like you said his name and now I said it. it's like right. super Hispanic. It's funny because obviously I'm Hispanic, <laughs> but I cannot roll my R's to save my life. Armando Lozano. Yeah. Now he's gonna get like all this shit hacked. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I lived there with uh with Armando and it was great. Lived there for a long time and then we just recently moved to a different part of Dallas, which is lower Greenville, way nicer part. I mean, I went from like every night we we're hearing gunshots to now people are like judging because I have I have two pit bulls and people like judge me because I'm like walking my pit bulls <laughs> and it's like they're like get that pit bull away from my golden retriever and it's like it's like man I'm used to a neighborhood where nobody fucking walk their dogs like <laughs> like but people are so much nicer in the hood man like I'd walk up to someone like eight o'clock in the morning and they're smoking a cigarette on their front porch and I'd be like hey good morning they'd be like oh hey good morning beautiful dogs and all that. To now, I'm living in like a nicer part of town. I'm like, hey, good morning. And they're like, oh my God, I'll call 911 right now. And it's like, <laughs> oh my God, I just said good morning. Like, yeah, they, uh, there's definitely, at least here in, in this side of the world, there's all different kinds of um, dynamics in each city. You know, you go from Oak Cliff to you can go to the north side of Dallas or you can come out here to the east side of, of the Metroplex or the west side of the Metroplex and you go into Cowtown and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, there's definitely different demographics, different diversi diversities and all around here. So Yeah, and then, like, so uh, I got a second job working at the hospital in Arlington. Yeah. And, dude, even there, it's like a different diet. Like, I tell people I'm from Dallas, and they're like, I don't know anything about Arlington. They'll be like, oh, I live in Arlington off of this and this street. And I'm like... I don't know where you're talking about. Fucking fantastic, <laughs> bro. Like, what is it, million-dollar homes? No? Okay, cool. Like, I don't I don't know where that's at. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm not from Arlington. I'm from Elothia. Like, I live in Dallas. Like, sometimes I'll tell people, like, I'm from Oak Cliff, but I'm really not. Uh, just to seem like yeah. that much harder, but... No. I mean, you certified to live there for a while, so that's got to account for something. It's, it's, it, there's a coin. There's a coin yeah. in that hat. You got some sort of street cred. Oh, absolutely. Some sort of. There's a lot of people that wouldn't live there. So, I mean, suck it. But, yeah, man, like, even just going to, like, Arlington, like you said, Cowtown. Cowtown is just a totally different, I don't know, like, I don't know anything about uh, Cowtown either. But, like, I mean, it's all just, like, it's crazy to go, like, I mean, what, like, Arlington from Dallas is, like, what, 30 minutes maybe? Yeah. And the culture is just, like. I mean, I'd say way different. Even just going from Oak Cliff to Lower Greenville, two different neighborhoods, the cultural switch is just totally different. Like you're yep. going from a lower income community to a way more wealthier income community. It's just wild. Yeah. And then like like the other night for the Stars game, me and Claire were sitting there at a, a bar called Stan's Blue Note. And it used to be like a locals thing. And then it turned into like now there's like there's a bunch of like SMU college kids. Mm -hmm. And we went to we went from that bar, we went to like this other, like that's a more local bar that it was like, everybody was like, where we were at the first bar, everybody was in stars jerseys, they're cheering and all that. to like this local bar where everybody was just kind of like hanging out, like having a beer after the game or like watching the game. Like I was like the only one in the stars Jersey. And I was like, dude, this is wild. Like yeah. just, and that's like 10 minutes apart going from Oak Cliff to 
Lower Greenville is like 20 minutes apart. Like the cultural shifts that can happen. We went from like a college, more college environment to like a more local, like everybody kind of knows each other. Like it was just wild. Yeah, for sure. And then if you take that now, let's let's look at where we work to where we are now. I mean, a smaller rural town being 30, 40 minutes away from your nearest hospital and going down county roads oh, dude, and, and, and going, you know, and meeting those side of people to now it's you know it's it's just yeah it's, it's absolutely different dude it's kind of crazy though because like working where i'm at now like it's it's so big but like i've heard a lot of guys tell me this like it's so big but it's also so small like where people go it's kind of where they end up staying at like because you get to know people around that area like say like you work like here but you don't know anybody like somewhere else like usually like you kind of just stay there yeah and it's just it's wild yeah like for sure being so big but yet so still so small yeah that's pretty crazy all right uh we've been doing i did these obviously i'm only you're so you're gonna be episode three for okay. as far as i know um uh we've been doing this thing uh you're gonna pick a number between see, i know it's a super random number it's a super range you're gonna pick a number between one and 132 yeah there's yeah, pick a number between 1 and 132. 68. Uh, hold on, let me read it real quick. Thank God I don't have to read it. Give me another one. That one's weird. <laughs> 32. Who inspires you the most? What qualities do they possess that inspire you? Oh, like I don't know. There's a lot of people that inspire me. There's been a lot of people throughout my life that have inspired me to do different things, like like the work ethic that I have, like the don't quit, like keep going kind of. Actually, started from when I was waiting tables. Yeah, uh, my old GM, like he was just this old country guy that like inspired me to just like work hard and not to be not to quit and then like uh like my dad was the same way and like i don't know man there's that's a that's a pretty solid question what was it who inspired you who inspires you the most hold on let me read would you say yeah who inspires you the most and what qualities do they possess that inspire you I would say, I would say my dad, because so my dad, he was like, before he passed away, he was like, he worked super hard, but it wasn't about, like he worked hard, but he also knew the always like kind of smell the roses. And that's like something that I always kind of forget because I'll get super tunnel vision of just like super motivated into goals. Like, oh, I'm trying to do this or do that. Or like, I'm trying to work really hard to buy new tires for my Jeep or whatever. And uh, to my dad, money wasn't like any, like he didn't care if he had a dollar in his pocket or 10,000. Like he was just going to have fun yeah. with the, whatever he did. Uh, but he didn't ever like half ass stuff either. And I think that would be, I think it'd be my dad along that lines. Cause like he was always like, he never wanted to be the center of attention, but he was always goofy enough that he always ended up being the center of attention. So like I always kind of admired that. Like it'd always be me and him, like hanging off to the side, and then like a group of people would just kind of join, and we'd kind of all be like there, hanging out. So I'd say I would say more along the lines it was my dad. Yeah, because I mean, I think a lot of people they just get 
super tunnel vision and what they're doing and they forget like kind of what they're doing it for. Yeah. Like if you're working hard to make a career for yourself, great. What's that career for? Is it to make your life better? Is it because you really honestly love your job and you're just passionate about it or what? Like yep. what's your why? What's your why for doing what you're doing? Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Um man, that's before we get done, uh something I'm just gonna say is uh man, I am super thankful to have had the opportunity to work with you. Okay. Um your attitude, your your passion, your charisma, every single day you came to work was it you were by far some one of my favorite people I've ever gotten to work with. Um and having you as a friend, as a mentor, um and seeing you, you know, being there and seeing you accomplish, you know, you know, your victim rescue now and getting on with your dream department and, you know, now getting USAR certified, like, dude, I'm, I'm absolutely proud of you. You've absolutely, you're absolutely, excuse my friends, you are absolutely fucking killing it. Okay. Uh, and I'm, I'm super thankful to have you as a friend. I'm super thankful to be there to experience it with you. And now you got a wedding coming up. Um, so man, I just want you to know, dude, you're doing a great job. And as a friend, I am super, super proud of you. Um, but yeah, man, uh, I appreciate you making the drive out here as well. That was, I know it's not, it's pretty far from dude. No, it's, it's far, but like the hardest thing is like getting out of Dallas. Like the traffic will start building up into Dallas and it'll all be like, if you look at on the map, it'll be like your first, like my first 20 minutes is just trying to get out of Dallas. And then it's like the rest of it's like nothing. Yeah. It's always, it's always Dallas. That's the issue. It's Dallas. man. <laughs> it is. But yeah. thank you, man. I think a lot of, I think a lot of people, they just, like I said, man, a lot of people, they forget like what they're doing it for and like getting that late call at night, like it sucks, but like that's, you got to go into it knowing that that's like, you're, you you got to expect that because if it's like, if you're expecting to have a slow day riding the ambulance or a slow day and you're on a busy engine, mm -hmm. you're going to be miserable because you're going to be busy. Yeah. But if you go into it like, man, I'm going to run 30 calls today or I'm going to run like 10 calls at night. Does it suck? Yeah. But if you expect it, it's not nearly as bad. And then like the next day, uh, just having that open communication with your significant other, whatever, yep. and being like, Hey, I need to take like a two hour power nap. And then like me, I ended up turning it into a four and then <laughs> it becomes a problem. But man, it's just going in and having that mindset of like, I remember one day you told me that like, I don't remember this. Cause it was just kind of like, like my mindset going into anything, but like, we got to call it like two o'clock in the morning. Like we had just got back. Oh yes. Laid down. I, rem I know what you're talking about. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you were on so you were on the ambulance that day with somebody who was absolutely miserable i, I remember not them as a person they just they were mis they hated being on the ambulance yeah and oh god it was probably we had just gotten to bed it was probably midnight yes i remember this and i think you were in bed not even 10 minutes <laughs> and i laughed thinking about it because i was in the bed across from you so i heard the tones go off and the tones go off, and it was the city. It was a town 30, 40 minutes away. So yeah. you ain't slept yet. And and you jump out of bed and go, let's go, baby. You said, yes, let's do this. And I was, I was tired for you, one. And I was just laughing my butt off when I heard you do that because it was you, and then you hear who you were with. And they were just all grumpy, and you were just smiles getting your ass hammered to you on that ambulance. And that, yeah, I thought that was, I just, then that goes, and that kind of goes on top of, dude, like I'd say, with your positive attitude all the time. Yeah, that was, oh God, that was hilarious. Now that looking back at it.
I never forget. I've never forgot that because I was, I was like, man, I was, I can't say I'd be in that same mood if I was going through what you went yeah. through that night. Sometimes it's like, like I try to be, like I'll make a little joke of it because I'll try to be like sarcastically excited, like yeah. overwhelmingly positive, sarcastically. Yeah. And just because, like, if you break, if you break that for a second, you're fucked. You're right down that hill, and you're just gonna be negative and all that. But like, even if I'm like being sarcastically positive, like not like a dick, like. Oh, like not, but you're like, in my mind, it's like a joke. Yeah. And then like, I'll just be positive for like, like that's how, if it's like a really bad day, it'll just keep snowballing until it's like, it's, you're just positive. You're not doing it as like a joke in your head. Yep. You're just doing it because that's what you, you just refuse to like snowball down that negative way. So yeah. that's why I always do it. And you gotta, uh, what's the term? What's the term that people always use? God dang it. Fake it till you make it. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. Yeah, yeah. you got to fake it till you exactly. make it. Exactly. Like yeah. if you like, you just gotta like fake it till you make it, and then at, one, at some point you'll just start being positive, and then yeah. it's like, man, this is our ninth call after midnight. Like I just want to see a bed, but it's like <laughs> that next those bells go off again. You're like, let's go, baby, let's go, <laughs> let's make this difference. Well, I think with with that mindset, you're in the absolute perfect place. And like I said, man, you getting your dream job, getting you source certified, and seeing everything you accomplished, man, you're you're doing a dang good job. So whatever you're doing to to do it. Just keep on keeping on, brother. Um, thanks for coming and you know to the pod, uh, and you, Claire, uh, anybody, y'all feel free. Y'all come back anytime. Um, yeah, man, feel free to come back anytime you want, brother. Hell yeah, I'd love to come back. I'd love to actually meet Quentin. Yeah, he wasn't. Uh, yeah, get onto the topic of that. I, uh, uh, he was. Um, he's working today. Uh, he works at the hospital out in able to get it off um and schedules weren't able to line up uh and then one of his close friends is, is moving into uh their house that they just built and so um he wasn't able to make it so but um he's gonna you know, like i said me and him are, he's gonna try to come on i mean anytime i film with somebody he's gonna be the first person i ask if he wants to come on so uh if you ever do want to come back or if y'all want to you know whatever man don't you know give me a call give me a text i can work something out you know, if we want to bring you and Claire on or, or whatever, man, we can we can figure something out, all right? All right. All right, brother. It's a pleasure talking to you. <laughs>